NYCapartmentZone.com. From New York City, this is the NYC Zone Teams Podcast. A show where we discuss everything about New York City real estate. And much more. You have questions, we have answers. And now, here are your hosts, John and Nikolai. All right. Hello, everyone. We are here with... Uh, Tim Alamong, and he's a real estate attorney, and he's a professional at 1031 Exchanges, and we're here with my business partner, John Gutby, all right, <laughs> and myself, Nikolai. John and I, we're your host. We're super excited to have Tim on our show. We're going to get into 1031 Exchanges today. Tim, tell us, what is in the world 1031 Exchange means? <laughs> hey, guys. It's good to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me, Nick. Of course. John. Um, so 1031s, obviously, um, that's something that we've all heard of. Um, a lot of people have questions on it. Um, basically, it's, you know, it encompasses real estate that is owned and used as investment. So you're talking about rentals. Um, even if you have a, a property that's vacant, but your intent is to use it for an investment, then um, this is what we're talking about when we discuss 1031s. Um, so, so it doesn't apply to personal property as it used to, um, which we've never really kind of cared about in the real estate world, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, um, but, but it still holds um, its power with the uh, tax referral, um, even after Trump's plan uh, was approved last year. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I'm understanding correctly, if you have an investment property, whether it's rental units, whether it's any sort of investment property, um, you can be qualified for a 1031 exchange. Correct. Okay. So there's what we call safe harbors mm -hmm. in, the, in the statute and the regulations. The IRS responds to, um, you know, sort of questions that uh, real estate professionals will pose to them and they'll issue their, a, a letter um, that can be used as guidance. And um, there's all sorts of letter opinions and advisory opinions, but um, from all of that literature and law, we take from it uh, what we've concocted and call safe harbor. Okay, so the safe harbor with respect to um, holding the property as investment is two years. So before you do your 1031 exchange, you want to see how long you've owned your property mm -hmm. and used your property. Um, and, and that's two years. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean if um, you, know, you buy an investment property, your intent is fully there to use it as an investment property. Um, you, know, you go out and you do renovations to it. You even might find a real estate broker to go look for um, potential tenants um, but someone comes along and offers you a great price. Um, and in that case, you know, even if it has only been six, seven months, mm -hmm. then um, are you going to be able to fall within the safe harbor? No. Mm -hmm. But does that automatically uh, prevent you from doing a proper 1031 exchange? No, not necessarily. There's no actual hard and fast rule in the IRS code that says you have to own the property for a certain amount of time. It's just a suggestion. It just gives you that um, power in the event of an audit. Okay, so it's just a suggestion. There's no exact law that kind of like states that you need it for a certain amount of time. Correct. Okay. So if I wanted to get in, if I wanted to do a 1031 exchange, essentially, I'm an investor. I get a property. I use that as an investment. I'm not living there. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. I use that as an investment, and the rule is you should have it. 
like this for two years. A suggested rule. A suggested rule. Right. For two years. Once I had this suggestion for two years. <laughs> safe harbor. Right, the safe harbor. Um, and I sell the place. Then I can use what's called a 1031 exchange, correct? Correct. Okay. So you sell the place and you put the proceeds into mm-hmm. a 1031 exchange fund, mm-hmm. right. more or less. Um, you do that by setting up the... Uh, the 1031 exchange with the qualified intermediary before you close. Mm-hmm. Um, so your closing attorney um, will will cut all of your net proceeds to your qualified intermediary, mm-hmm. who will hold the funds until you go to purchase your next investment property. Gotcha. So of course the 1031 exchange ruled that uh, you have to hold investment property. Um, you know when you sell it, uh, you have to also purchase investment property. Mm -hmm. So the property that you purchase or properties that you purchase, because you can purchase multiple, um, uh, it has to be used as an investment. Um, And the same rule applies with respect to the term ownership. Uh, The two-year applies for the property that you purchase, otherwise known as the replacement property under the code. Um, that has a safe harbor of owning it for two years and, and you're outside of the window of scrutiny in the IRS's... You know, okay. So let's say I were to buy a place and I lived in it, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's say I was suddenly like, you know what, I don't live here anymore, but I want to keep, I want to rent it out. Now it's turned into investment. I bought something else that I want to make as my primary. Does that rule still stand for something like that? Yes. The two years. So I, once I leave, at least for two years of being as an investment, and if I sell it, I can still do this 1031. Right. And it's a beautiful thing to do. Right. So you have outgrown your starter mm-hmm. home, and you now want to purchase something uh, bigger. Right. Um, you know, hopefully you don't have to sell your starter home to purchase right. your next one, but, you know, we can play fairy tale. Right. So you want to use your, your place as an investment property for two years, bam, you're eligible for a 1031 exchange with respect to that property. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's great. I feel like and, it's a pretty good strategy. And also, on the back end, if, yeah. you, um, if you use that for a 1031 exchange and purchase another investment property down the road... After you've rented that out for two years, you can move back in and use it as your primary residence. Really? So even if you buy another one as an investment, and after having it as an investment property for at least two years, you can live in it? You can live in it after two years, and you're you're safely outside of the safe harbor zone. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. if you moved Mm -hmm. in it within a year. Right. um, You you may trigger an audit, in which case... Um, it, it could potentially lead to the IRS finding that you triggered the capital gains. I'm Correct. curious. What happens if, let's say, I have a little multifamily, just three units, I live in one and I have another two, so clearly two units are investment property, I live in one, but of course I sell it as the whole thing to somebody else. Right. So that is still 1031 exchange eligible okay. um, with respect to... of the property. Okay. So the 25% that you use as your personal residence, you can still um, uh, apply, or you can still benefit from Section 121 of the tax code. And obviously, that's the code that cuts off the first 250,000 gain um, if you're a single and 500 if you're finding jointly as a married couple. Um, So so basically, once you go into the exchange, you know, you'll have a, a little bit more of a fancy closing statement <laughs> yep. uh, with respect to both uh, portions of the property. 
Okay. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. It depends on what you're going to purchase next. Yep. Um, if you want to purchase another multifamily and live in one of the units, I hope that you're going to purchase one with the same 75% um, investment and 25% personal. Otherwise, the numbers can get tricky. So, you know, um, you might have to, you know, and um, who, who kind of figures that out? I'm sorry. Who figures out the, the percentage of... Uh, well, that's why we're blessed in New York City. Uh -huh. We have great, fabulous real estate attorneys right. that do that kind of work. Okay. Um, outside of the city, uh, you're dealing with title companies okay. who may be less experienced in these kinds of sophisticated transactions. Mm -hmm. um, so you really should potentially team up with a qualified intermediary like mine um, who would be able to do something like that for your exchange in, say, Arkansas or Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you kind of want to have someone in your team that knows. Right, <laughs> of course. Uh, and that's always the case. Okay. And this might sound like a silly question, but uh, figure to ask, if I didn't make any profits of my investment property, I held it for two years, the market stayed the same, I'm selling for the same amount, does it make any sense for me to do 1031 exchange or there is none? Well, you're, um, if you're not triggering a taxable event, mm -hmm. then you're really wasting money on paying a qualified intermediary to hold the money. Okay. And you're also making, you're tying your money up. Okay. Um, in other words, because you, once you go into the 1031 exchange, mm -hmm. you can't close on your relinquished property, which is the term that we call the property you sell first yep. in a forward exchange. Um, you you have that uh, that relinquished property and um, you know you've got your forty five days your one hundred and eighty days, um, but not until the forty five days would you be able to get your money back from the qualified intermediary because at that point if you haven't identified replacement properties then the exchange is dead. Okay. So in other words, once you give your money to the exchanger or the qualified intermediary, you can't get it back very easily. Gotcha. Right. So it's like the, the QI, which is the Qualified Intermediary, yeah. right? <laughs> the QI, um, these, it's, it's almost like essentially holding your money in escrow, correct? Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so once you sell, so you got a place, okay, you want to do a 1031 exchange now. So once you sell your place and you sign at closing your place and now you have the money and the QI now has your money, Mm -hmm. What's the next step? Have, have, there's a rule, right? 45 days? Right. So the first step is uh, make sure that you and your real estate agent mm -hmm. are talking about, you know, about these steps, you know, right. because right. you want to know when are you going to be able to put your contract deposit down mm -hmm. on your next property. Right. You, you're able to take uh, money out of your exchange before the 45 or 180 days to make that contract deposit. It's important to know. Um, but after you close on the sale of your first property, you have 45 days to identify potential replacement properties. Okay. Okay. And then uh, you have 180 days, also starting from the day that you close, to purchase uh, those um, amongst those identified properties. Gotcha. You don't have to purchase all of them. You can purchase more than one, mm -hmm. but you do have to close on one of the properties that you've already identified. Okay, identified. And so it needs to be officially closed within the 180 days. Yes. Of the closing of the first, of your first property. Correct. Gotcha. It's not 45 days and then 180 days after right. the 45 days. Right. 
And I remember this little detail. Um, I believe if you had left, let's say, two million in mortgage on your previous property, it's a must for you to take out two million mortgage on the new properties that you buy, right? Right. So you want to be careful with debt. Okay. Anytime you have a, a payoff of a mortgage on your replace on your relinquished property, um, say in, in in other words, you're paying off your mortgage uh, five hundred thousand. Then um, you know your next your next property. If you don't replace that debt with the same amount of debt, or you fill it with your own cash, mm -hmm. then the relief of that first mortgage could be considered income or a taxable event, mm -hmm. uh, which would trigger the capital gains. Um, so, for example, if you've got a how much did you say? Let's say you have two million in mortgage. A two million dollar mortgage on a five million dollar property. Um, you sell it and you pay off your two million, and you're left with three million. Let's okay. say. Now your next property, if you just purchase one for three million, um, and you don't replace the two million debt in in this next property, then you've triggered a taxable event on that two million. Yeah. So what I would suggest to people in that situation is to buy another property of five million dollars or greater, use your three million in your capital or in your uh, 1031 exchange, um, plus an additional two million dollars in either financing or your own funds, you know, out-of-pocket funds. Um, but in any event, you would have to spend the um, the amount to, to make sure that your investment uh, is equal or greater value the yeah. second time around. Okay, makes sense. So, um, with the QI, um, when I identified the properties that I want within my 45 days, I have to let that person know. Correct. Right. Okay. So, they'll send you forms mm -hmm. and you really just write out the address on the form and okay. sign it and send it to them. Mm -hmm. If, for example, you want to uh, change a property that you've already identified, you can do that just as long as you still do it within 45 days. Once you hit the 45 day mark, what you've identified is locked. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the QI could be, I'm assuming this in this scenario, as an attorney, right? Well, here's the thing. is Your, your qualified intermediary cannot be someone you know. It has to have a degree of separation. It cannot be your attorney, it cannot be a family member, it cannot be an accountant or your real estate broker. Um, it's really designed so that you don't have constructive receipt of these funds right. because it's supposed to be an investment directly into um, the market or another piece of investment real estate. Uh, so it, it, you're meant to uh, be separated from the money at all times. Uh, so you want to avoid... Uh, you know, having someone you know act right. as that, and uh, generally, um, you can just find someone and um, a company that specializes in especially the types of things uh, to do this for to you. Okay. And usually, your attorney or your title we'll company can sign or yeah, can find one for you as well. Right. Okay, great. Right. Um, so you know, with your experience with dealing with ten thirty ones, what do you think are the biggest challenges that a lot of people come across? Uh, the biggest challenge is the, the debt, understanding how to replace the debt um, and to avoid um, a taxable event in terms of financing and avoiding mortgage boot. Um, it's definitely not hard to find properties right now. I think people are um, kind of at the point now where they're not facing um, the 45 days and they can't find anything. 
Um, generally, we don't see any issues with closing on time, um, uh, especially if you, you know, have been planning all along. Um, I always tell people, you know, um, wait to close on your sale until you have a good idea of what you're going to buy. Um, and right now, it's pretty easy to do that with the right team. Um, I mean, what, what kind of suggestions can you give to someone who wants to start doing this? What kind of suggestions can you give to that for that type of person? I would say um, anybody who's thinking about 1031 Exchange um, is definitely find somebody who knows what, um, what information to offer you on your specific um, transaction. For example, if you own a specific type of property in Long Island, and you're thinking about doing an exchange, um, you really need to find someone um, you know, that's done these before, uh, that will talk to you, that will be available to give you a closing statement and tell you what your estimated taxes will be, how much you'll save um, by doing a 1031 versus if you did not do a 1031. Okay. Um, you wanna keep your uh, professional income tax professional close by. Um, because he or she knows your tax brackets and what other deductions and uh, that you're taking. So they, they can work with whoever um, is advising you on the 1031. Um, they can work with you and, and talk about your impact. Okay. Um, and with, you know, the, the new tax plan that Trump has put in and anything, have you seen any sort of obstacles or anything that's really big changes? Not for real estate. Okay. No, that just, um, they took out the the 1031 exchange um, applicability to personal property, so business assets like um, uh, helicopters, private jets, and mm -hmm. bulldozers, um, stuff like that were, were in the 1031 exchange realm before. Really? Uh, yes. Even artwork and anything that was an investment. Um, really? It actually... So it's not just real estate? No, the, the 1031 exchange law um, uh, code was really started in the early 1900s for the benefit of farmers, right. you know, um, okay. for their equipment. And it, it kind of morphed into this, um, you know, 21st century sophisticated right. investment real estate right. tool. Right. Um, but so it's very incredibly useful. I guess I can have a bar or a grocery store or whatever and uh, I can do a 1031 exchange. Right, so you can do a 1031 exchange from a bar or grocery store to vacant land. So it doesn't matter what type of property. Well, learn something new today. And then it's, you could also like identify, let's say a piece of art if I want. Not to. now. Well, not now. But. Um, and no, because okay. that wouldn't be like kind property. Okay. So when, we, when they had the personal property um, 1031, it was a little bit more restricted with uh, respect to the term like kind. Mm -hmm. um, if you were going to sell a piece of art, then um, understandably so, you would have to buy another piece of art. Okay, so it had to be um, the same. But it couldn't be a sculpture or right. something like that. Like it was, it was pretty, it was a little bit more uh, hairy with respect to identifying like kind property, but with respect to real estate, Everybody asks because they see the term like kind in quotation marks. We've all seen it, right? right. Um, they think there's some sort of legal holy grail associated with this term, but it really means nothing. Right. Real estate is real estate. Right. Whether it's a, a condominium or a co-op uh, or a single family, they can all be exchanged um, single family, multifamily, uh, and also across state lines.
What are you seeing like like what's what's more popular right now with with, with the type of exchanges? Is it multifamily? Is it just multifamilies? If we're talking about my my practice is right. generally New York City, so right. um, like largely a lot of investment properties in Brooklyn are mm-hmm. uh, multifamily townhomes are great to run out, great investment for New Yorkers. Um, so those are always going to be a huge source of our 1031 exchange market here. It's interesting. It is, and the the people who really benefit from this exchange in New York City is our our landlords. Our landlords love to hear about 1031 exchange. They will come and listen to you all day long. <laughs> I bet they do. Yes. So, and I tell all of the real estate agents that I work with is, um, especially the new ones who are in rentals right now, still starting out, is uh, pitch a 1031 to your your landlords. Um, they will. They will see you as someone who is uh, well-versed, sophisticated, and um, they might, you know, entertain the idea of selling their property. And you as an agent potentially get two commissions. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, on the sale and the the purchase. Right. Right. Which makes sense. I feel like, like, you know, that would actually be good um, advice for a landlord. And um, to see if they want to entertain an idea like that, because it's kind of true, because we do know a lot of uh, landlords in Brooklyn. Um, Another one is for an estate. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we see an estate seller, and mm-hmm. the estate owns the investment property. Um, there's several heirs. Some of them don't want to be a landlord. Some of them want to cash out. Some of them want to keep being a landlord. So it gets tricky. You can do the 1031, but... Um, you, you know, you, you, you'll have to speak to a legal advisor on the title and how that applies. But um, estate sales always a great idea for 1031 exchange if it's investment. Really? Even if it has, like, multiple people attached to it? Correct. How will that work exactly? Well, that's why I say it's a little... I think it would be beyond this. But right. uh, there's... Um, you want to look at the vesting mm-hmm. uh, title ownership right. and... Uh, how how is it going to be owned on the flip side? Because uh, the way that you own the property now, um, the re- relinquished property, it has to be the same name on the replacement property. Gotcha. Um, and there's few excep- exceptions to that general rule mm-hmm. for an estate or an LLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example... If you own a property now and it's an investment in your own name and you want to sell it to a 1031 exchange and the next property you want to put into an LLC, Mm -hmm. obviously that's a great idea. Your personal asset liability protection um, and you also have the pass-through income. So that is allowable because if you're a sole member LLC, the IRS treats it as a disregarded entity anyways so what that means is you can put the next property in an llc wherein you're the sole member of the llc of the llc right. yes so let's say there's like five people attached to that property someone passes away is in a state sale and there's five people attached to it correct five um, beneficiaries right beneficiaries so Heirs. so essentially they could create maybe an llc or maybe a trust maybe, I don't know, um, where they can, if they wanted to do the 1031 exchange, mm-hmm. everyone can be attached to it versus... 
Right. So you want to see um, how the how the property is owned first, Correct. right? You know, the deceased um, may have owned it in an individual name, or right. they may have owned it in LLC. Right. Um, they may have owned it with their spouse who's mm-hmm. deceased, and that spouse, um, you know. So there's a whole host of sure, different sure, things sure that we, come up. Multiple different we, ways. We're given a good cliffhanger. <laughs> right. So, in other words, right. just call us. Right. We can, right. We can explain. Right. Right. That makes sense. It's funny because when um, when you're studying for your life, you get your license in real estate. Right. And you see all the stuff that can happen in different types of scenarios. It just makes your mind explode. You're just like. What? Okay. And, then, and, then, and then you and then you enter industry and you see that there is another hundred million variables. And you're like, that was nothing. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's different scenarios that can really happen. Like yeah. who owned the property, who didn't own, and like there's different ways to. Um... Imagine law school. I can't. That's, that's insane. That's insane. It, that's insane. It, they really give you all the different scenarios, mm-hmm. and then in, in practice, you still see all these different scenarios, but in a practical way, you know. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's it's truly there's always something different um, with each exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it's a it's a it's a lot to talk about and a lot to know. I bet, I bet, I bet. So what would be the best suggestion for somebody that's uh, looking to the ten thirty one exchange? Should they Google it? What should they do? I would say um, if if you're in the New York region, mm-hmm. then you know connect with us. We can. Um, Nick and John are great at mm-hmm. you know giving you an evaluation of your property, how much you would be putting into the exchange. We could tell you what your potential tax impact would be had you not done an exchange. Um, we're happy to give that kind of one-on-one for New Yorkers here. Uh, if you're outside the country, um, you know I would reach out to your real estate agent. Uh, and, and start the process, and obviously you're going to want to find a real estate agent that um, knows about 1031 exchanges. Right. Which makes yeah. sense. And we have pretty good connection all over the place, so we'll be happy to recommend somebody. Of course, of course. I think this was great. Uh, very, we learned something new, especially about how it was back in the day with personal items. Yep. It's crazy. Yes. <laughs> it's fascinating. You know, and, and I think everyone who's thinking about investing and and, and trying to avoid paying taxes right now, doing this 1031 exchange, I think it's a great way uh, to build wealth and to, and to essentially grow. Absolutely. You keep your wealth working for you right. instead of paying your taxes on your sale mm-hmm. of the investment property. You, uh, you can defer that tax and, and put that money back into uh, your equity and your, into your investment. Right. And, you know... And that's that's the beautiful thing about it. Right. I remember entering real estate, and I heard this for the first time. I was like, "What?" Right. <laughs> so, sounds catchy. Ten thirty one. Ten thirty one. But you have to remember it's a deferral. Mm-hmm. It's right. not an avoidance. So right. So you eventually, theoretically, will mm-hmm. pay the tax on the on an eventual sale of your investment property, and right. you don't do another ten thirty one exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you were to pass away, you know. Um, and to leave your ben- in, and leave your um, next of kin or you know mm-hmm. your children, your property. Um, also, you know you have to remember that they will get a step up in basis, so they won't pay the capital gains tax that mm-hmm. you would have to pay if you sold it, for example, the day before you die. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, yeah. let's say I started with like something really small and I started growing, growing, growing and over years, let's say I did 1031 exchanges. Is there a limit? I'm just curious. So you can just keep on going You forever. can keep on going forever. Okay. <laughs> as long as you stay within the rule. Right. Well, you stay within the rule. That, that would be a good client, no? For 1031 exchanges? <laughs> it's actually, it's a great way to, um, you know, for a, a young investor mm -hmm. um, to start purchasing um, smaller properties, you know, maybe down in Florida mm -hmm. and keep exchanging them until you hit your retirement age. And then as long as you've rented it out for that two years, you might have grown, you know, your small one bedroom condo a couple mm -hmm streets from the beach to a, a nicer, you know, uh, place on the water right. by the time you're older. Right. Um, and it makes it's sense. a great it, tool. It is a great tool. Well, um, I don't have any questions if you have anything. No, I think this was I, phenomenal, actually. I, you know, we really do appreciate you coming down here. Thank to you for and, having and, me. And I feel like this is very educational because I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about this. Yeah. It's kind of like, even if you Google it, it's like... It's an it's information overload, really, right. and that's the that's the age we live in. There right. is an overabundance of information, yes. and I'll listen to my podcast. And you know, just the other day, I heard a podcast of, that had um, information about the personal exchange, the personal property ten thirty one exchange, mm -hmm. and they didn't mention that it's no longer a part of the tax code. Right. So people, so people probably think. <laughs> when you Google it, yeah, you remember. You've got to keep um, keep yourself in line with the current uh, the current ten thirty one exchange news, which you know, right. podcasts like this is where you get it. The law is ever changing. I'm sure a year, two, five, ten from now, it's going to be most likely something different. There's always uh, changes in the law that you know we follow every day at my firm, and uh, you know we're always keeping abreast of how to use it, you know, to yeah. best benefit everyone and structure these types of deals. So, Tim, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's, uh, what's the best way to do so? Sure. My, my, my firm is here in New York. We are based in Chelsea on 25th and 8th. Uh, we're, my name is Tim Alamong. It's Alamong and Associates. And you can reach out on email, tim at alamonglaw.com. Perfect. And if how, how do we spell Alamong? Yeah. Just in case. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's A-L-L-O-M-O-N-G. Perfect. All right. So um, thanks so much for passing by. Thanks, guys. This is another episode from the team. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to us at our website, our email at zone at compass.com or zone at nyczoneteam.com. And, uh, yeah, until the next one, take care, everyone. Take See care. Bye-bye. Guys. See apartment zone.